Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent. I stands for using your intuition. N stands for networking. And K stands for Obtaining Knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining us today, which is July 11th, 2018. We're going to be talking about ways to manage your memory. And this is a subject matter that a lot of our listeners have requested. It is going to be a great show Our special guest is Dr. Andrew E. Budson, and he is the co-author of a book with Dr. Maureen K. O'Connor called Seven Steps to Managing Your Memory, What's Normal, What's Not, and What to Do About It. A little background for you. Dr. Budson, he majored in chemistry and philosophy at Haverford College before receiving his medical degree from Harvard Medical School. He's a professor of neurology at Boston University. He lectures in neurology at Harvard Medical School, and he's chief of cognitive and behavioral neurology at the Veterans Affairs Boston Healthcare System. His career combines education with research and clinical care, and he helps those with memory disorders. Dr. O'Connor is um, she was educated at Luthica College, I believe that's called, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and Yale University of Medicine. She's the Assistant Professor of Neurology at Boston University, and she's Director of Neuropsychology at the Bedford Veterans Affairs Hospital and member at large of the National Academy of Neuropsychology. Her award-winning research, education, and clinical care focuses on patients with memory disorders. So now we are going to get into the meat of it. Welcome, Dr. Budson. Uh, thank you. So nice to be here. I'd like to start my show out by asking my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? Yeah. You know, I will tell you that I uh, really uh, began with a scientific passion of trying to understand how do the mind and the brain uh, work together and produce things like thinking and memory and consciousness and things like that. 
And then I uh, looked around and saw, well, you know, what type of a career would this be? Would this be a career with test tubes and laboratory animals? And that didn't really sound very satisfying. And I said, well, really the best thing to do is to explore these issues with people and to try to help them along the way. And that was really what started me down the path to uh, uh, becoming a cognitive and behavioral neurologist, so a neurologist who specializes in individuals that have disorders of uh, uh, thinking and memory. And then, you know, once I uh, saw my first uh, patient in the clinic, I knew I had uh, chosen the the right course of study. Mm. It's it's particularly interesting, I find, on how people end up in the professions that they end up in and it usually starts with an idea and you took it to the highest level right right no it, it, exactly right in fact it it's one of the um the the principles that i live by which is that you know if you really want to uh care for someone in in a really uh, uh, good and well thought out and reasoned and scientific way, you really need to understand the science behind what's going wrong. And that's one of the reasons that uh, my career combines um, research along with uh, clinical care so that I can always stay on the cutting edge of uh, the understanding as to what causes disorders of memory, including uh, Alzheimer's, so that I can always provide the best treatments for my patients. Mm. So is that what motivated you to write the book, Seven Steps to Managing Your Memory? Yeah, well, I will tell you, there were two main reasons that uh, we wrote it. The the first is that uh, we really wanted people to come to our clinic and see us early and to come to every other memory clinic across the country and across the world early. And the reason I'm stressing the word early is that there is so much more that we can do for patients that have memory disorders when they come through the door early. And too many times uh, in the clinic, we would hear the, uh, the patients or their families say, you know, I told my primary care doctor about these problems two or three years ago, and they said, oh, don't worry about it. It's totally fine. So we actually began by writing a book uh, for doctors, for primary care doctors and other practitioners to help them uh, to be able to recognize uh, individuals that are having memory problems, how to distinguish that from normal aging, and get them started on the appropriate treatments. Uh, But what we found is that that didn't really make much of a a dent in uh, in the problem. And we said, well, you know what? We have to get this information in the hands of the people who really need it. And the first reason that we wrote this book is to really empower uh, the individual who has maybe noticed some changes in their memory as they're getting a little bit older to figure out for themselves whether their memory is normal, whether it's not, and what to do about it. 
So that is the first reason that we wrote it, is to really give this knowledge Mm -hmm. uh, into the hands of the people who need it. And the second reason is actually we wrote it for each and every one of our patients. You know, if I had like 10 to 15 hours to spend with each of my patients, I would literally tell them almost every point that's in this book. But of course, we just don't have that amount of time. And so I feel really good about the fact that, you know, if my patients want to understand in more depth, uh, you know, how did I make the determination that their memory was normal or whether it was abnormal? Why did I perform the different tests uh, that I did? How do these medications work that I'm uh, prescribing for them? Why do I recommend some diets and exercises uh, over others and and things like that? It's all in the book. Oh, that's that's a great service, it really is. Yes, yeah. My question to you is: We were discussing a little bit earlier in this interview, wherein you talked about how you want patients to come in early. How would they know that it's quote, early, (laughs) when they're having memory issues. Right, exactly. And the only way that somebody can know if they're uh, coming in early is if they have a good understanding as to what changes in memory are expected to be normal and what changes are not. And I can give you a little uh, analogy that can help Uh, your listeners uh, understand uh, some of the key differences between memory changes that are normal and memory changes that are not normal. So the way I think about our memory system, I think of it like a a filing system in the brain. And as part of our file system, we have a file clerk. The file clerk is actually a part of the brain. It's actually our frontal lobes right behind our forehead. And it is the file clerk's job to take information in from the outside world and to put it into our file cabinet. Now, what happens in normal aging is our frontal lobe file clerk gets a little older, too. And as our frontal lobe file clerk gets a little older, in an analogous sort of sense, he doesn't hear quite as well. And because of that, information may need to be repeated a couple of times to get into the memory store. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happens to our older frontal lobe file clerk is he doesn't move quite as quickly as he used to. And because of that, it may take us a little bit longer to retrieve the memory that we're looking for. And lastly, our older uh, file clerk doesn't see quite as well as he used to. And so when he's looking through the different files, looking for that memory uh, that he's uh, uh, wanting to pull out, he may need a hint or a cue in order to retrieve it. But the bottom line is that with normal aging, as long as the memory got in there, it should be able to be retrieved even if it takes a little bit of time or a hint or a cue. So all that are changes that are uh, usually normal with aging. Now, let me just contrast that to the changes that are not normal. So if we now focus on the file cabinet itself, 
I'm going to tell you that in Alzheimer's disease, one way to think about what happens is Alzheimer's damages and ultimately destroys the file cabinet. The file cabinet is another part of the brain. It's called the hippocampus, and that is where all of our new memories are stored in that file cabinet. And the way I think about it is imagine if you pulled open the file drawer and you peered down inside and you found there was a big hole in the bottom of the file drawer. So you could have the best, most efficient file clerk in the world taking in information from the outside world, putting it into the file cabinet. But what would happen? It would drop down through this hole, never to be retrieved mm. again. And so when that happens, even when information is repeated, even if you give a little bit of time or a hint or a cue, you can't get the information out. So that's what happens with Alzheimer's. So, uh. so, so these are some of the main differences. And basically, if someone's just you know, uh, having a little trouble with their file clerk, maybe information has to be repeated once or twice, maybe it takes them a little bit of time to retrieve a memory, mm -hmm. that's probably normal, and they don't need to see their doctor about it. But if they are rapidly forgetting information, and one way we know that this happens is when people are asking the same questions again and again and again, or they're telling the same stories again and again and again, you know, that is not normal. And that's when I would want someone to see their doctor about it. Oh, that's excellent information because I have a friend who's doing the not normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in fact, it, it really, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, memory problems due to Alzheimer's and other uh, uh, similar disorders is all too common. Uh, when people uh, reach the age of 85 and above, approximately half of them have either Alzheimer's or another uh, cause of uh, dementia. So it mm. really is just a very common uh, problem. What age does it typically start, or is there a typical? Yeah, the, uh, it is a disorder that gets more and more common as people get older. So at age uh, 65, uh, one has uh, a, about a maybe a, a six to eight percent chance of having uh, Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And by the time that someone is uh, 75, it's probably about 25 percent. By the time someone is 80, it's probably about 35%. And then by the time they're 85, it gets closer to, to 50%. Okay. Interesting numbers. Yeah. So, so it's, just, it's just more common with age. And I, I should also comment that although it's more common with age, we don't think it's part of normal aging. We think it's like high blood pressure and diabetes and um, cancer, all these disorders are more common as people get older, but we wouldn't consider them part of normal aging. And we think the same about Alzheimer's. So that's, that's another thing that I'm sort of on a crusade to help people understand, which is it's not normal to lose one's memory as one gets older. It's not normal to become sort of senile. And, and I think, you know, that's another uh, important uh, message that, you know, just because you're older, that doesn't mean it's normal to lose your memory mm -hmm. unless it was in that file clerk way that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
Interesting. So what are the seven steps to managing your memory? Yes, absolutely. So uh, step one is learn what is normal memory. And uh, that, in a nutshell, is what happens to the file clerk uh, when the file clerk gets a little bit older. So Mm -hmm. that information needs to be repeated to get into the memory store, and it may take a little bit longer to get out. Step two is determine if your memory is normal. And here we talk about uh, both the kinds of memory problems that are not normal, and we talked about uh, rapid Mm -hmm. forgetting uh, when the Mm -hmm. hippocampus is damaged and how that's not normal. Uh, We also talk about some of the other things that are not normal, such as Mm -hmm. uh, finding ordinary words. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, as people get older, it is normal to have trouble coming up with people's names and names of places and restaurants and things like that. But it's not normal to come up with common, ordinary words like table, chair, door, telephone, <clears throat> things like that. And when that happens, that could also be a sign that something is not normal. The other thing we talk about in this step is what should your doctor do uh, to evaluate your memory? In step three, it is understand your memory loss. And here we talk about what are all the different things that can cause memory loss. Because it turns out that many causes of memory loss are reversible, are completely curable. And these include problems such as uh, thyroid disorders, vitamin deficiencies, that we can actually cure people of. And this is another reason that we want people to come and see us early because maybe it's just due to a vitamin uh, deficiency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also talk about what the different terms mean. And uh, some of these terms can be very uh, uh, confusing. So, for example, one of the most common questions that I get asked when I give a talk is, what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease? And Mm -hmm. why don't I just spend 30 seconds and and tell you and your listeners the difference? So uh, dementia is when there is a, uh, a decline in thinking and memory that is severe enough that it interferes with day-to-day function, okay? And so it's a general term. And like a, a general term, I think of it sort of like I think about another general term, which is a headache. Now, headaches can be caused by all sorts of different things. One can have... Uh, benign causes of headaches, uh, such as a muscle tension headache or a migraine headache. And one can also have very serious uh, causes of headaches, like from strokes and brain tumors. And so dementia is sort of the same way. Dementia can be caused by things that are totally uh, curable. So just like I said, uh, such as a vitamin deficiency or a thyroid disorder. But dementia can also be caused by different brain diseases. And Alzheimer's is one of those brain diseases. Another brain disease is something called dementia with Lewy bodies, which is similar to Parkinson's disease dementia. There's something called frontotemporal dementia, another type. There's vascular dementia due to strokes and other types as well. So dementia Mm -hmm. is the general term, and Alzheimer's is one specific type, or if you like, one cause of dementia. 
We also talk it about that, it, it seems mm-hmm. that Alzheimer's is one of the more um, uh, talked about. Yes, and the reason it's one of the more talked about is it is the most common cause of dementia. In fact, approximately 70% of dementia is due to Alzheimer's. And so that's really the biggest reason that people so often confuse these terms is because when somebody has Alzheimer's, to the point that it interferes with their day-to-day function, then they uh, have dementia. And so uh, people often uh, get them confused for that reason. Uh, We also talk about um, some of the uh, more mild memory problems that can occur. And uh, this is uh, uh, terms like mild cognitive uh, impairment. In mild cognitive impairment, day-to-day function is normal. And so, by definition, the individual does not have dementia, but they or their family have noticed that there's been a decline in their memory, and when they do pencil and paper testing, it turns out, yes, indeed, they are having uh, memory uh, impairment. So, what the studies show about mild cognitive impairment is about half the people do go on to develop Alzheimer's disease or another cause of dementia, but the other half don't. Uh, the other people, uh, their memory either stays the same or even gets better. And so people with mild cognitive impairment could have something like depression, which can definitely cause memory problems. But if the person's depression improves, if it lifts, then their memory can go back to normal. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Mild cognitive impairment can also be caused by medication side effects. And if it's figured out which medication is causing the problem and the medications are changed by their doctor, their, uh, their memory can also improve. So mild cognitive impairment is when there's more mild problems. So, is, it difficult, so, is it difficult for a physician to determine which medication might be causing mild cognitive impairment? Well, uh, I'll tell you, we, um, it, it, it's the sort of thing that uh, unless it's on a physician's radar. They Mm -hmm. just may not be thinking that some of these medications can cause trouble with thinking in memory. Now, Mm -hmm. there are lots and lots of uh, good physicians that it is on their radar, uh, but but sometimes even the best of physicians in the uh, spur of the moment trying to help patients with uh, different types of problems can end up prescribing a medication that could cause uh, memory problems. And, do you have a list? Uh, yes, I do. I do. I'll, I, I will read off the list, but I have to give this this one caveat that if any of you listening say, oh, my God, I'm taking uh, one or more of these types of medications, I don't want you to stop it without talking to your doctor if it's a oh, medication your doctor uh, prescribes. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's Do very important. <laughs> right. Do not stop uh, If it's a medication you're taking all by yourself that nobody told you to take, that one you can stop all by yourself. <laughs> sure, um, sure. So the, uh, the first class of uh, medications are the uh, sleeping medications. And both the over-the-counter sleep aids uh, these are things like uh, uh, Benadryl uh, and Tylenol PM and things like that. Uh, the over-the-counter sleep medications can interfere with memory as well as the prescription uh, sleep uh, medications, things like uh, Ambien. 
Um, and so th- that's one class people should consider. Uh, okay. Believe it or not, simple cold and flu medications can uh, interfere uh, with memory. Now, it might be worth putting up with, you know, having worse memory if you're fighting a terrible cold or flu. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. cold and flu medications can interfere with memory, as can the allergy medicines. Uh, we're into allergy seasons, and a lot of my patients are taking these medications, and very few of them realize that it can interfere with the memory. And it is something that's worth discussing with your physicians because some of the allergy medicines are more likely to cause drowsiness and cause memory problems than others. As a general rule of thumb, any medication that causes drowsiness is likely to interfere with memory. Now, anxiety medications are another class of medicines that can interfere with uh, with memory, and this is one of those classes that um, I, I I do want to uh, stress that individuals should not stop these anxiety medicines on their own. They should talk oh, with no. their doctor yeah. uh, about it, and because it, mm-hmm. it may be important that they take it, but mm-hmm. but that is one class. Uh, another is the narcotic pain medications. So I think we've all heard a lot uh, in the last couple of years about. Uh, all of the use Mm -hmm. of the opioid medications, things Mm -hmm. like morphine, Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycodone, uh, Oxycontin, uh, all of those medications uh, can interfere with memory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Muscle relaxants uh, can interfere uh, with memory. These are things like uh, Flexeril that can... uh, uh, impair the memory. And the last class I want to mention is one that uh, I bet most people don't think about, which are medications to help with incontinence. And incontinence, you know, not being able to make it to the bathroom on time and ending up uh, uh, wetting your pants is obviously mm-hmm. a, it's a, not a good thing. And mm-hmm. I- I- if you or, or someone you you love is taking a, <clears throat> a medication to help with incontinence and it's working, it's preventing them from having these types of accidents. My feeling is it's probably worth a little bit of a trade-off of a little bit less memory if one can stay continent. But uh, I know a lot of individuals that were put on these medications because they're having trouble holding their urine, and it doesn't really help. And they're still... Uh, you know, having lots and lots of accidents and needing to wear, you know, special undergarments. And if the medication isn't doing its job, if it's not really helping, it's probably better to get rid of it because it can interfere with the memory. Mm, So that is a little bit about those. uh, How about the statin drugs? Yeah, the statin drugs. So I get so many questions about the the statin drugs. The the bottom line is there was actually a very careful study that was uh, done uh, to uh, to see do the statin drugs actually improve memory. And this very carefully done study with uh, about a thousand patients found that no statin drugs do not improve memory. But it also found neither do they impair memory. So the statin drugs uh, uh, do not interfere with memory. There is uh, people talking on the web that say the statin drugs interfere with memory, but there's really no good scientific evidence to show that that's the case. So all Mm. of uh, you out there taking statin drugs, don't worry about it. 
don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about the statins. Take it to help your cholesterol. Oh, that that makes a lot of good sense. Yeah. How about so, diet? Yeah, diet. So, uh, so I'll just mention uh, uh, briefly that step four in our book is treat oh, your memory okay, loss. And no, no, it, it, it's fine. Step four is, is treat your uh, memory loss. Mm-hmm. So there we talk about how do the medications uh, work uh, that can help with memory loss. And step five is modify your lifestyle. And so there we do get into diet and exercise. And mm-hmm. so with, uh, with diet, uh, what uh, study after study has shown is that the Mediterranean diet and some of its cousins, such as the MIND uh, diet, are the only types of diet that have been shown to uh, benefit uh, brain health and thinking and memory. And the Mediterranean diet includes fish, olive oil, avocados, fruits and vegetables, nuts and beans, and whole grains. So those are the things that it's good to eat. So you might say, well, what are the things that are not good to eat? Well, I hate to say it's almost everything else. So it it turns out that, uh, in particular, fatty foods, red meat, um, uh, white bread, white flour, most pastas, those are foods that are better to eat once in a while and not to eat every single uh, day. Mm-hmm. And you might wonder, like, well, what's wrong with white bread and white flour? Well, it turns out that those um, refined grains are very quickly broken down into simple sugars. And when we eat foods that have a lot of white flour in them, it's almost like taking handfuls of sugar. It's just, uh, it's just not really good for us. But if we take whole grains um, that are uh, metabolized slowly uh, by the body, uh, those uh, the the literature suggests are just fine to eat. Oh, that's good. It can be uh, particularly cumbersome to stick to a specific diet sometimes. Right. It 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 is it is true, and uh, uh, I I think when people get in the habit of not so much a, a diet where you have to, you know, count every calorie and things like that, but to just try to eat things that are healthy, I think people will will do uh, mm-hmm. will do a whole lot better. So if you think mm-hmm. about, you know, what well, did people foods. eat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, whole foods. What did people eat? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, fifteen thousand yeah. years ago, before we had all the refined sugar and the refined flours. You know, they're eating fish from the sea. They're eating fruits and vegetables, nuts and beans. You know, some whole grains. You know, th- those are the things that uh, that are helpful. Yeah. As they always say, when you go to the grocery grocery store, shop the perimeter aisles, not the center. Aisle yes. For, oh, I love food. that. That's that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Turmeric. So, uh, yeah, turmeric. Yeah. So that is uh, something that has gotten a lot of press uh, recently, and mm-hmm. I have to confess that I love Indian foods and foods made with curry and and turmeric. Uh, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, mm-hmm. uh, is an important ingredient in curries. And uh, no one will be more excited than me when we have really good evidence 
that it is helpful. It'll give me another excuse to eat like curry foods every night. Uh, <laughs> but so far, uh, there's not super good evidence for it. So what wow. I tell people is if you like Indian food, curry foods, go for it, eat it. I'm sure it's good for you. But is mm-hmm. it specifically good for the brain health, thinking, and memory? We haven't yet found uh, that type of evidence. Okay. Well, they're, they're starting to do more and more studies with it. They are. They are. So I, I got my fingers crossed that some of those will mm-hmm. come out positive. <laughs> uh, let's talk about physical exercise. How much should we do? Yeah. So, you know, for a long time, there has been uh, recommendations from uh, organizations like the American Heart Association and the Centers for Disease Control that we should all be doing at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week of aerobic exercise. And so, of course, aerobic exercise is anything that gets our heart beating a little bit faster, gets us breathing a little bit uh, heavy. And the good news for all of us is you don't have to be running marathons, even just (laughs) brisk walking is mm-hmm. been shown to be uh beneficial. So uh so those are uh so that's important. And uh just recently a study uh came out that looked at the amount of exercise people uh can be doing and it and it turns out that this 30 minutes a day 5 days a week was actually confirmed that that is actually a a good, oh, good. Uh, a, a a good amount to do. But um mm-hmm. Many of your listeners may have noted that I said at least because there's also evidence that the more exercise you do, the better. And one Mm -hmm. study looked at people who started exercising vigorously in their 40s, and it found that people could actually delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease by 11 years from age 79 to age 90 uh, by vigorous exercise. So... Uh, I want to stress that uh, uh, any type of aerobic exercise is good. 30 minutes a day, five days a week is absolutely going to help you. But if you can do more, more in intensity, more in uh, uh, the length of time, as long as your heart and your lungs and your knees and your joints are ready to do it, uh, it's even better for you. Yeah, we we just recently got a year and a half um, lar- quite large dog. And... <laughs> I, I always have uh, done uh, walking and hiking almost every day for about a mile and a Wonderful. half. Wonderful. And now, instead of it taking me an hour, I'm literally doing it in like 25, 30 minutes because he's, there you he's go. going so fast. He's you, going you, so you, fast. <laughs> you've got your brisk walking. Yes, and, and you know, having uh, pets actually has been shown to be uh, beneficial in many different ways. One of the ways is, is uh, you know, if you have a dog, you got to walk it so you get exercise. It mm-hmm. tends to help you uh, socialize because if you're walking the dog, you'll often run mm-hmm. into people and talk to That's them. Right. And, and then you also get the companionship uh, mm-hmm. uh, from the from the dog. So so that really is a uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. just uh, mention. Um, Uh, some of the benefits of exercise that I think are particularly exciting. So uh, we talked about how depression can interfere with memory. And it Mm -hmm. turns out that exercise is such a powerful antidepressant that it is as powerful as many antidepressants that are on the market uh, today. 
Another thing that is amazing about exercise is exercise helps improve sleep. Now, you might wonder, well, you know, so why is sleep important? This is a conversation about memory. Well, it mm-hmm. turns out that sleep is actually really uh, important uh, for memory in at least uh, three different ways. Uh, the first is that if one is tired, it's hard to pay attention. And if you can't pay attention well, you're not going to be able to remember things well. But the second reason, which is really interesting, is that when we sleep, our temporary short-term memory gets converted into a long-term permanent memory storage. And if we don't get good sleep, we're not going to be able to hold on to our memories for a lifetime. And the third reason that sleep is important for memory is there's this abnormal protein in the brain called beta amyloid. And beta amyloid can accumulate into these clusters or plaques that can cause Alzheimer's disease. And it turns out that when we sleep at night, uh, some of the beta amyloid is naturally taken away. So sleep is helpful for that as well. But the most exciting thing that I want to tell your listeners about exercise is that exercise actually helps to release growth factors in the brain that can grow the size of your hippocampus. And there are studies that are done not only in young adults, but also in older adults between the ages of 55 and 85. And the hippocampus as you may recall, is actually the part of the brain that forms new memories. That's our memory file cabinet. Mm -hmm. So you can grow your memory file cabinet so much with exercise that you can actually see the difference on an MRI scan. That's what they found in the study. And they found that how much bigger the hippocampus got was directly related to how much exercise the people did. And it was also directly related to how much their memory was improved. So people often ask me, uh, Dr. Budson, is there a magic pill out there that's going to help my memory? I say, yes, there is. It's called exercise. That's the Mm -hmm. magic pill. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And you so, and you said the age group was 55 to 85 or 55 to 85 in this one okay. study. It it had been done in young adults as, as well, mm-hmm. but I was so pleased when these data uh, came out that showed you can basically never be too old to start exercising and uh, reap the benefits of it. So does it effectively re- rewire your brain? So what it really does is it actually grows new brain cells. And okay. uh, and it 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 uh, the way I would put it is it gives you like more amps. So if you think about it, to use the wiring analogy that you brought up, mm-hmm. it's not that it rewires your brain. It's sort of like you get an upgrade on how many different electronic devices you can plug into <laughs> it because uh, uh, because you're sort of growing the fundamental power supply. Oh, that's great. I like yeah. how you put that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Well, let me tell you a little bit about step six, which is okay. uh, stre- strengthen your memory. And here, what I want to tell you is that um, one might think that doing crossword puzzles and Sudoku and computerized uh, brain training games can actually help. 
But it turns out that if you spend time doing crossword puzzles and Sudoku and computer games, you get better at crossword puzzles and Sudoku and computer games. It just doesn't really translate into overall brain health. But there are some things that do. And it turns out that having a lot of social interactions, uh, learning something totally new, something that stretches mm-hmm. oneself, and having a positive mental attitude, those are actually the most important things that can help strengthen the memory. And, and then the other thing I'll just note that uh, we put in step six is we have all sorts of different memory strategies and memory aids. We help uh, explain to people how you can remember your shopping list better, how can you remember uh, where you parked your car in a parking garage, and how can you remember people's names uh, better, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and then the, that's great. Yeah, and then the, the last uh, step, just to, to finish off the seven steps, mm-hmm. is uh, plan your future. And in this step, we talk about, well, so you've got some memory problems. So what does that mean? Can you still drive? Can you still work? What are good jobs, even if you're having some memory loss? What are some bad jobs? Uh, how do you know when it's time to retire? How do you know when it's time to hang up the keys? So we talk mm-hmm. about different, different things like that. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've had a very efficient interview. <laughs> Would you like me to uh expand on any of the uh any of the steps here? Yeah, um please do. And wh- whichever one you feel um our listeners would like to know a little bit more about. Sure. Well, I I think that almost uh, everybody, I think once they get over the age of like 30, uh, would Mm -hmm. love to know some tips and techniques of how do you remember people's names better. So uh, so I'll tell you some of the things that that we uh, talk about in, in the book about how to better remember names. So one of the first things that uh, we uh, talk about is when you're, say, at a cocktail party and somebody tells you their name, the Mm -hmm. first thing you have to do is to pay attention when they're telling it to you. It's so often that somebody's telling us their name and we're looking at them and say, oh, well, that's a nice outfit they're wearing. Or we just Mm -hmm. passed the hors d'oeuvre table and we're saying, geez, I wonder which one of those I'm going to have. Or (laughs) maybe we're thinking of what we're going to say next. And we don't really pay attention. So the first thing is it's important to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that um, there has been uh, a lot of interest lately in mindfulness techniques. And mindfulness techniques are one way to actually train yourself to pay attention better. Now, the next thing, after we paid attention to the name, is it's important to say it back to the person. So if... uh, you say, oh, hi, my name is Denise. I say, oh, it's nice to meet you, Denise. And uh, the simple act of my saying your name out loud is going to help me uh, remember. Now, the next thing that um, I uh, want to always do is to form some type of an association with uh, the name and something that is uh, familiar uh, to me. So it turns out 
that uh, my sister's name is Denise. And so I can form that association that's going to mm-hmm. help me remember, oh, okay, this person's name is Denise, and uh, I can think about my sister, and that will help me remember. And then the mm-hmm. next thing to do is to form a mental image. And so what I would do is I would picture my sister either standing next to you or giving you a big hug or, or something like that that would help me put the, the two together to help me uh, remember. And then uh, finally, uh, what I like to do is to try to find something about your appearance that would help me uh, remember that your name is uh, Denise. And Mm -hmm. what I will often do is I'll see if I can find the letter D for Denise on your face or maybe on part of your jewelry or a fold of your clothing or a pattern if you're wearing a a pattern. Uh, For the letter D, I'll sometimes picture your bottom lip as the straight line of the D and the curve of your chin as the curve uh, of the D. So I picture a D on its side and I just sort of make a mental image and I see that D there and that can help me uh, remember uh, the name Denise. And then the last thing is you need to say it again to yourself a few minutes uh, later after you've uh, learned all these, uh, after you've done all these things. And then say it again to yourself maybe as you're driving home from the cocktail party that night. And if you really want to remember it forever, uh, say it again to yourself the next morning uh, when you get up. Say it a week later, a month later, and six months later. And that will really help to keep that. Oh, my gosh. And that is the reaction that most people have when I tell them this. They're like, oh, my gosh, do I need to do all these things to just remember (laughs) a name? And, you know, it it turns out that, you know, memory strategies do take work. You know, there is Mm -hmm. no free lunch. But the good thing is that the more you use strategies like this, the more they become automatic and you're able to uh, remember them and do them without even thinking about them. It's Uh. just like the first time that you used your smartphone and you Mm -hmm. had to learn how to type with your thumbs and you had to learn how to use different apps. It was a lot of work to figure Mm -hmm. out how to do all these things. But then once you got into the habit of it and it became automatic, you don't even think about it anymore. And it's the same way with these memory strategies. The first time you do them, it will take work. But the more you practice them, the more they become automatic, the more you do them without even thinking about them. And I will bet you that many people that you know that you just consider oh, these people just have amazing memories. They're just naturally gifted. bet you that they use these strategies, whether they're consciously using them or not. I bet you they use these uh, strategies all the time to help them remember. And you can too. Anybody can learn to use these strategies. Oh, my goodness. That's just great. Well, you have imparted some wonderful information. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Dr. Andrew Butson, his book is Seven Steps to Managing Your Memory. And where can our listeners purchase your book? Uh, you can uh, purchase it on uh, most uh, uh, book websites like uh, mm-hmm. Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com uh, and uh uh, most local bookstores as well. I always like to support uh, our local uh, bookstores. So if they don't have it, tell them about it. I'm sure they'll they'll be happy to get it for you. 
Well, thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy evening, I'm sure. And uh, please say hello to Dr. O'Connor for us. I absolutely will. Thank you so much, Denise, for having me. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, that wraps up our show for today. Thank you for joining in. It's been an extremely formative interview, and I have learned a lot. We will be back next Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in. We'll have another great guest. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.